0: Welcome back everyone. I originally planned to discuss self care this week, but the events that transpired at our nation's capital on Wednesday, January 6th, have led me to create an episode on another topic. It's clear that 2021 is going to have its own share of unsettling events that take us by surprise and turn our lives upside down. This clearly has an impact on us as teachers but even more so on our students as they grow and make sense of the world around them. How can you create a trauma-sensitive classroom, even if you aren't teaching in person? It's the topic of Episode 6 on the Next Chapter for Teachers podcast. Being a teacher isn't what it used to be. The good news is, you don't have to figure it out all on your own. If you're looking for truth, inspiration, and tips for success in the classroom and beyond, you're in the right place. It's time to turn the page to the future of the profession. This is the Next Chapter for Teachers podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Erin Spinagle, and thank you for listening to Episode 6 of the Next Chapter for Teachers podcast. Like many of you, I watched the riots at the nation's capital unfold last week on the news. While I was horrified at the carnage that transpired and fearful for those whose lives were in danger, I can't say that I was surprised at the unrest and upheaval once again. The rhetoric, emotions, and misinformation leading up to the Electoral College certification Certainly foreshadowed some kind of clash, but I wasn't, and perhaps neither were you, expecting the magnitude of destruction and violence. Maybe I believed it could happen, but hoped against hope it wouldn't get to that point. I live 90 minutes from D.C., and many people in my community either commute into the district for work or are originally from the metro area. So whether it's last Wednesday or the Black Lives Matter protest or any other major event in that vicinity— it feels like it's happening in my backyard. I've always considered it a privilege to live so close to the seat of our nation's government and to have had the opportunity to see many of the historic buildings and monuments there that many wait a lifetime to see. But with the upcoming inauguration and the impending threats of violence, it suddenly feels too close. Now, that's how I'm processing the events of last week, as I continue to learn and see more of what went down. And I have to think, how is a child who's learning right from wrong, whose brain and body are developing, supposed to process not only this, but everything that's happened since last March? And honestly, for many children, the trauma goes deeper than COVID, Black Lives Matter, or any other political unrest. It's not knowing where the next meal is going to come from or if there'll be anyone at home to take care of them, or even worse, hoping someone doesn't come home to hurt them. It's a recent topic in my Monday message, an email I send out with encouragement and strategies for the week ahead, and you can join that by clicking on the link in the show notes. I know I've focused much of my episodes thus far on self-improvement, because teachers desperately need to change the game first by changing the player. This next chapter of life in the classroom requires us to change our mindset for sure. But it's also going to mean we prioritize the needs of our students differently. Because we, with our rational adult brains fully actualized, are indeed affected by the insanity of this year, but we're wired to respond and recover from this because we're mature. A child who's physically and psychologically growing and processing this unrest in the world right now, that's a different story. Their ability to make sense of the trauma, which trauma is the impact of distressing dangerous events, requires a greater level of concern and care. And it makes our job as teachers that more important. Not because we need to go into recovery mode when we get back to a traditional classroom environment and need to catch up on all the standards and materials that we've missed. No. As I said in the blog post for Instoy back in October, the data doesn't matter and I stand by that. It's because we're going to need to reconnect as people, as a classroom community. And that will entail addressing a great deal of the trauma that has been witnessed over the past year. So today I'm going to share five ways, the five A's if you will, to create a trauma-sensitive classroom environment starting today. Even if the only contact you have with your class right now is through a computer screen. Along with this, I'm going to share some neuroscience to back up why these overarching practices will help with addressing trauma in the classroom. For the first strategy I'm going to talk about is just to ask. This includes asking your students if they have things they want to discuss and letting them ask questions in return. Ignoring what happened won't make it go away. Chances are your students have seen on the news or they've seen events on social media and they've seen things that have scared them, Made them mad or left them confused. Let them ask questions if needed. Set the norms for how questions and discussions can be held respectfully. We need to stay connected on a personal level to process how the events of the world affect us. We also need to acknowledge each other's feelings and destigmatize being afraid. And that's especially true for boys who are often made to feel like they shouldn't cry or be scared. While I don't condone teachers sharing political viewpoints of students, and that's not the purpose of this episode at all, we can, in a matter-of-fact way, discuss what's happened, why it happened, and the potential consequences of those actions. And the depth you go into will vary greatly based on the age of your students. The important thing is that we seek to understand. Let your students know it's okay to be concerned about the future, And their feelings are valid. So let's talk about the brain for a moment. The amygdala region is about the size of your thumb, and it's located between your ears. It processes emotions and detects fear. When you've been exposed to something traumatic, it becomes hyperactive and it becomes harder to relax and concentrate. So, if that's true for an adult, can you imagine how difficult it is for a child to turn off the fear mode? They can't. It's even harder to unsee what happened for them. So if they're turning to you with questions, if they feel the need to seek answers for the why or the how of what's going on, it's important to make room for that. Their brains need it in order to relax and to understand. The second way to be trauma sensitive is to assure. It's your classroom. I know it's your students' classroom too. But you are the teacher and you set the tone. Even online. Your presence can give students peace of mind just by being there. Along with asking questions comes giving the reassurance to your students that they are safe and loved with you and that you are a safe person they can communicate to in times of distress. That's ultimately why it's so important teachers take care of themselves. Our job is too important to not be fulfilled and healthy on our end so that we can confidently and wholeheartedly address the needs of our kids. You can also reassure them of the procedures and likelihood of events happening again that may be causing them anxiety and what is in place to protect them. I don't mean that we sugarcoat what's going on or say that everything's fine because it certainly isn't. But you can diplomatically remind them of the things that are in place to keep them safe and to keep the country running properly. Back to the brain for a moment. The hippocampus is located next to the amygdala. It's in the shape of a C. It stores our memories and helps us discern past and present events. When you've experienced trauma and the amygdala is overfiring, the hippocampus has a harder time telling the difference between the past event and the present, even if the danger has passed and you're now safe. People that have experienced severely traumatic events even have a smaller, lower-volume hippocampus, which often indicates post-traumatic stress disorder. So with that being said, that's why assuring kids of their safety and their ability to rely on you and their classroom community is so important. Their memories are rooted in the emotions they experience, and it's even harder to separate it from the past and the present. Next is anticipate. This is more about being prepared than anything else. If there are topics or subjects in class that you'll be learning about that may serve as triggers for student anxiety or heightened emotions, you can prepare for it and be ready to address the issues that arise. For example, As a former fifth grade teacher, a unit on the three branches of government, or a lesson on the Bill of Rights, or the causes and effects of the Civil War, right now I can anticipate based on former students' needs or beliefs, prior experiences, what I would need to do to be prepared so we could have an emotionally safe learning environment for everyone in my classroom. It doesn't mean you don't teach those topics, you absolutely should. But you, especially by the second semester, have a better understanding of your students as individuals, even through a computer screen, and what could lead to heightened emotions or cause conflict. Part of trauma sensitivity is thinking ahead and using what you know about your students to prepare for the conversations that may take place and the feelings that will arise. The fourth way to create a trauma sensitive environment is to adjust. If there's anything we have perfected this school year, it's this one, because we have sure had to be flexible. There may be times when students need to talk about what's happening in the world, or their feelings, or a lesson leads to a conversation about a bigger topic or bigger feelings that they're having about the world. Let them have those conversations. The unplanned, teachable moments may do more to address the impact of trauma more than any planned social-emotional learning. Taking class time to focus on feelings or questions is not a waste of time or being too soft because, and here's one more neuroscience moment for you, because of the prefrontal cortex. This regulates emotions and reacts to the amygdala. So if the amygdala is your thumb, then your four other fingers closing over it is the equivalent of, to the prefrontal cortex. This is where the executive function happens. Decision making, paying attention, making behavior choices based on consequences, impulse control. I can almost see you nodding your heads as I'm sure these are all issues you've had to address with your students in the classroom. Me too. But in the presence of trauma, it's harder for the prefrontal cortex to make rational decisions, to think things through, to process the things that they should know how to do or act at this age or grade. Reconnecting and developing the muscle, if you will, of the prefrontal cortex takes time. And it's not going to heal with benchmark assessments or computer programs promising to catch kids up on missed skills. It's going to require adjustment of our expectations and redirecting our focus from an academic instructional viewpoint. Which leads me to the fifth strategy, which is to accept. This does not mean accept wrongdoing or to normalize intolerance or violence. Quite the opposite. Many of us, myself included, greatly awaited the clock striking midnight on December 31st because we wanted to put the events of 2020 behind us, and rightly so. The truth is, the beginning and possibly a great portion of 2021 will be a continuation of the crisis that began last year. The pain and problems won't go away overnight, nor should they. Some of the issues that have presented themselves boldly this year, such as intolerance and social injustice, Having ignored for ages and rebuilding trust and sub- stability in our country will take time. Healing is needed. It's also important to note that, yes, our students may very well have learning gaps and not be where we would expect them to be in that grade emotionally or academically for years to come. They shouldn't feel bad about that or worry that they aren't good enough or wrong for the things they don't know and didn't get a chance to learn projecting the mindset that we are in recovery mode to our students is important to their progress as well. It's easy to feel defeated when you set goals and what you were looking forward to in the future doesn't pan out, which is something I talked about in Episode 5 about setting goals and boundaries for the new year. Accepting the brokenness and the time it will take to repair those things creates an environment where students feel accepted and receptive To the work ahead. So, to recap, here are five ways to create a trauma sensitive classroom environment in these uncertain times. Allow students to ask questions, assure them of their safety in your presence, anticipate reactions to content or sensitive topics, adjust your schedule as needed when the need to focus on processing feelings and current events arises. And lastly, accept that recovery from all that has transpired this year will take time and set the tone for your students that that's okay. Together, we're going to make it. Giving ourselves the room to grow and heal will get us there in time. That's all for this episode of the Next Chapter for Teachers podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave a rating, subscribe, and give a review. Join us next time when we turn the page to the future of the profession. Until then, I'm Erin Spinagle, reminding you to be different, but more importantly, be the difference. And I'll see you in the next chapter.